0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Since I come here to Liverpool and to Anfield, I have drummed it into our players time and again that they are privileged to play for you. And if they didn't believe me, they believe me now. It!
1: It! Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9.
0: And that was the late, great Bill Shankly addressing the entire city of Liverpool. Uh, that. Late, great Bill Shankly has gone on to inspire many great managers. I am speaking to one this evening. First, let me remind you all, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. Also, follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. And now, we say good evening to Steve Darby. Paggy,
1: because it's Puggy in UK at the moment. So what? I've still got a few little bits of Bahasa left in me.
0: <laughs> so you, you're back in the UK now, Steve. Why, why are you back there?
1: Yeah, basically, it, it was two reasons. My mum is 88. And I'm starting to struggle a wee bit. She's, a, I'm an only child. She's a widow. I thought, well, you've got to do the right thing sometime. And this was before the virus. And now that the virus is happening, it was even more important than I am here because she's basically locked away. And I have to go over, and I'm, I'm her only contact with anybody right now. But uh, also my daughter reached the age of where uh, school is important. And I wanted her to go to a, a good school. And there's a lot of bad schools in England, but there's also some very good ones. So I sort of broke the piggy bank open and got her into a good school. Uh, and she's enjoying it so far.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. You, you you've settled back in the Wirral. I understand. You just wanted to have a good Scouse accent, don't you?
1: Well, I, I was I was born in Anfield, and apparently I've lost the accent. All my mates say I don't I speak posh. <laughs> uh, basically, it's, over the years because I've been coaching in so many countries. I've had to learn to speak slower, and I've also had to learn to eliminate slang. Because, you know, if you welly the ball, everyone looks at you, what's this welly? You know, so things like this. So you had to learn to either use local slang or, or use correct English. So, yeah, and, and we're all side of Liverpool. Uh, and basically, I went, I'd i moved my mum across from Liverpool's. Where we were born, Anfield, it was a bit naughty at times, uh, the drugs and the gangs. So I made sure I got her a place over on the wheel where it's a bit safer. And so I moved about a kilometre away from her.
0: Brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. And and, I mean, we're we're well into day 30-something, I don't know, I can't remember, of lockdown in Malaysia. What's it like in the UK? Is everyone adhering to laws?
1: Yeah, I'd say... 99%, 99%, you're going to get the odd loony, because there's, there's loonies everywhere, you know, there's nutcases who've got no idea, but they've been nutcase, that's what happened, but most people have been insensible, basically, it sounds awful, but I'm actually enjoying it, because I'm getting, reading books more now, I'm listening to music more, uh, watching lots of Netflix <laughs> as well, doing po- podcasts, like, tomorrow I've even got a Nigerian TV interview uh but what i'm dreading is if he says to me at the end of the interview look we'll pay you three million pound send us your bank details <laughs> <laughs> but i don't think I, I don't think it'll be three million pounds from uh, your show ross
0: no no we we uh, yeah uh, it's in the post anyway steve don't don't you worry oh, okay, about yeah. that so yeah. so what 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 is your what's the daily steve darby routine in the world these days then do you wake up late do you make yourself a cup of tea no. do the papers no, it's
1: it's the same as I always go to bed early 10 o'clock is the latest for me unlike you Uh, and I like to get up early that's when we train over in Asia because I felt it was better players didn't like it at first but they got used to it and my logic of training in the morning was it doesn't tend to rain very often in the morning it rains in the afternoon in, in Malaysia, Singapore, these countries so if it rained and it wiped out your training you'd lost your whole day yeah in the, if you train in the morning, you've got your session in. If it rained in the morning, didn't usually rain in the afternoon. Yeah. Except maybe in monsoon season in Kelantan. But yeah, that you've got to accept that anyway. So uh, get up early, go through all the, the football news. You know, I love the t- football news. I don't like the learning. The good thing about the, the Twitter and Facebook is you can block people. You know, I, I've, blocked, <laughs> I've blocked quite a lot, believe me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, there, there are a lot of idiots out there, uh, br- brilliant stuff, so, so you, you're coping, you're coping well, um, what do you miss most about Asia? <laughs> well, my mum's
1: still alive so I can't tell you everything. <laughs> uh, so
0: It's a family uh, show as well, Steve. Family show, yeah, okay, uh, what do I miss?
1: I, I, I miss the warmth, uh, I mean the temperature, It was, it is nicer than, freezing in England is freezing. Uh, I missed the war. I missed the football. The lads were great. You know, I had seven seasons in Malaysia, three in Singapore, so basically ten seasons in that region. Uh, now in Thailand and stuff. But um, so I, I do miss the football and the lifestyle. Uh, even sikit sikit makan. <laughs> I enjoyed some of the makan. I occasionally get a, a huge craving for for roti. Oh, I just love roti curry on or roti with eggs in and tataric, But um, I don't go mad about it, but uh, it's certainly, you know, I used to enjoy those things.
0: Do you know what? Everything you've just mentioned there, every single food item, everybody listening now is craving for, because we've been in lockdown for so long now. <laughs> um, okay.
1: So, you can't even get a Ramley burger.
0: No. No we... ramly
1: burgers on the, the stalls, so I used to love them as well. In Johor back in 98. I should step outside my house, and there was a lad with his Rumley store, and oh, I should love his burgers. Oh. I did never ask what went in them, but it tasted great.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's Rumley meat, but yeah, we we miss that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get down to some football questions then. Currently, as it stands in England, uh, I mean, how do you see how do you see the English season playing out? Because I mean, Liverpool are on the verge of winning a title. Their relegation place is not sorted yet. You could argue the, the other European spots are not sorted as well. So how would do you, how do you reckon it's going to pan out? Well, I would say 95%
1: of people in football, and, and include fans in that, want the season to finish. Doesn't matter how. We'll be behind closed doors or three games a week. Uh, but they want to finish because then we can look at next season, next season, when everyone's equal. Because, as you said, I think there's eight teams can get into the there's three Champions League spots available because Liverpool obviously got one. they can't go out of it. Uh, I think the league title obviously everyone knows that was won, but that's not really an issue. It's the Champions League where you gain money, and of course, even worse, there's probably six teams three three of them will get relegated, mm. and that's a huge financial cost. There's only about four or five teams in the league who are playing for nothing at the moment
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's been a lot of talk about players' wages since uh, Mr Hancock <laughs> broadcasted. Um, what what, what are, do, you, do you think the players are, are now doing enough to, to help like the NHS and, and their communities?
1: Well, the players certainly do a lot unseen. I mean, for example, Everton in particular do an incredible amount of work in the community, sort of me around here. Uh, Liverpool don't seem to do as much as a club, but I know that James Milner and Jordan Henderson do a great deal of work and uh, Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mandi work in their own communities back in Egypt and Senegal. So it, it does go on. I mean, I think Hancock was wrong to pick out footballers. If he's going to pick out footballers, he should pick out bank managers, singers, pop stars, you know, all those people as well. It's going to be across across the board. And I, I think it's going to open up a, list, a, a general debate. Do we need to squeeze salaries? The rich get paid less and the, the other people at the bottom, who are the care workers, you know, the nurses, you know, should they get more? It, it often hit home to me once that I, I saw when Michael Owen was 18. He picked up a salary of sixty thousand pound a week.
0: Wow!
1: And I knew a nurse. I knew a nurse when she was eighteen, and that would have taken her five years to earn what he earned in a week. Now, it's not Michael Owen's fault. He took it. I would have taken it. You would have taken it. Let's not kid ourselves. It's it's not the player. It's the person who gives it. But I mean, there's something morally wrong. And and it's like if you've got ninety two billion, does it matter if you've got forty two billion? Mm. Now, why don't you use the other fifty billion to to help those who've got nothing? Yeah. And now, we're not too bad over here. We, we we haven't got rampant poverty. We've got poor people. We've got food banks, which is a disgrace for a nation like this. But we haven't got real poverty. Poverty I saw in Vietnam and Thailand, not so much. Malaysia I didn't see too much poverty in Malaysia or Sing. But uh, you know, of course, India. I saw in horrendous poverty. But it, it it does make me mad that. <laughs> When I saw the poverty in India and I saw the, some of the wealthiest people in the world there not helping, and the British government was sending over aid. It was, I kept thinking, well, look at these multi billionaires and they're not helping their own people. But yeah. that's a, you know, I was never going to change it because who the hell am I to say change that? But I, I do hope we sort of reevaluate the wage structure for people in general.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if no football carries on, uh, players have to be sensible. These are unprecedented times. Now, Steve, uh, assuming assuming the league season does does get sorted out eventually, do, there, there's talk that UEFA. I mean, obviously, Champions League, Europa League's got to be sorted out. That's important. Now. Uh, uh, two city tournaments been mooted, like where where the final's supposed to be sorted, then you, you fly all the teams over there and, and take part in, in a lot of time, and that's an idea, isn't it, to sort out the Champions League?
1: It, it's an idea, but I mean, when you're sitting in Madrid now, or Northern Italy, or London, you're seeing people literally, like last night, 851 died in England last night, and you're thinking, well, you know, it's not going to happen soon. Yeah, you know, the, the only thing you can say is that sadly, a lot of the people who are dying tend to be over seventy, uh, with on, on ongoing conditions, heart attacks, obesity, things like this. But there are still a lot a lot of people dying, and sadly, some of them are doctors and nurses, uh, which is you know the worst. They're putting their literally their lives on the line for us.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. True, true heroes. Um, go, going back to what you mentioned before about financial uh, f- madness between footballers and, and normal players. What about what about clubs furloughing staff? I know, I know, um, I know. Liverpool and Spurs have reversed the decision. But what are your thoughts on furloughing?
1: Well, they they had to reverse the decision, Liverpool, because it's built around this. Concept of, you know, of Shankly, the concept of you can walk alone, and to actually save money and, and reduce the salary of their, their non-playing staff. They can't furlough the playing staff because that that basically means they're going to get nothing. But the non-playing staff they're going to furlough, which they would have saved some money. But I tell you what, as soon as the season comes back, they might be looking to spend fifty million on a striker. So. You know that's immoral. Uh, my view wasn't. It's the first time in my life I've ever thought of. Well, maybe I'll change to Everton now. <laughs> uh, the normal th- philosophy in England is you can say you can you can change your wife, you can change your religion, but you can't change your football team over here. But literally, you know, I, I was tempted to go seen Everton do the right thing over here. They didn't furlough anybody, uh, but New- Newcastle are still doing it. But nobody cares about them because of. You know, and uh, now that they're owned by the Saudis so that money's not going to be an issue anyway
0: yeah yeah, absolutely right we're, we're going to take a very short break we're talking to Steve Darby and we're going to return right after this Where's well, the try and he's always prepared to give it a go off the ball on BFM 89.9 captain leader legend off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking around. It's Off the Ball in Lockdown. And I'm catching up with an old friend, Steve Darby, now stationed back on the Wirral in Liverpool, back in the UK. Uh, Steve, we were we, you told us all about your, your daily routine and all that. Let's talk about your extensive coaching career. I know we can fill an hour of the show just on that. <laughs> but you, you've enjoyed success almost everywhere you've coached. Um, what would you say would be your most enjoyable stint? Which one?
1: Well, I could say Kalantan, but that was off the pitch. Many a Razia there. Uh, but my bank manager would actually say Singapore. Uh, because we've got three FA Cup finals, one, two of them, in the league in the double, AFC Cup semi-final afc team of the year top three you know we won everything and the good thing about singapore you got paid on time the full amount so that was a, a great time and i was lucky i had a good team a good team on the pitch obviously it counted but also i had good lads off the pitch i had players who were leaders so i never had any dressing room problems you know but my two local leaders adi iskander Subramani, they they basically ran the dressing room I had good on his pros, like Adil Charon, who obviously now did a fantastic job at Kedah. incredible job, really delighted for him. Plus, me, foreigners were good lads. You know, I, it's a danger sometimes, your foreigners can be arrogant or, or selfish just playing for themselves. These lads are Brazilians and Thais, they played for the team. So it was a really enjoyable three years. And it taught me about how important off-the-pitch was as well, the management. Uh, I had a fantastic manager for three years. Uh, He was basically CEO off-the-pitch. I was CEO on it. Uh, But what happened was it got changed by the president there. He came in and got rid of him and brought in a new manager who thought he was Alex Ferguson. And within three months, that was it. I'd gone. I couldn't handle work in that scenario. I moved to Parak. And they didn't win anything for another ten years. Wow. So, you know, after that huge, uh, they could have gone on to be, they had a salary cap there, and I'll be honest, I wanted to cheat the salary cap. I wanted to pay Perez, my Brazilian, always wanted more money. That was his nature. Lovely lad, always wanted more. So I used to say to the, the chairman, look, can i employ his wife as my maid yeah just have to come to the house but you know? yeah. well, i was outside the salary cap and i'll give the money back to him and all that and of course, home united wouldn't do it because they were the government yeah. and they were so strict so we we played within the salary cap um, and what we did i decided made a decision i would go for the 16 best players i could and i had three other kids all their job was to do was to run <laughs> you know, literally run 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 and you know they couldn't do anything else. Pass it to one of the good players. <laughs> yeah, and there was plenty of good players in the team. So it, it worked out to be quite a, you know, a good scenario, that did.
0: It. really. Um, it,
1: it's quite an extreme from some of the other places I've been, no?
0: Well, what would you say would be your least enjoyable experience?
1: Well, the only job I have ever resigned from was Mohan Bagan in, in India. The, the team, which has basically the whole team or the whole club had a culture of fear all the way through it and it had massive delusions of grandeur you know it it was incredible i was i was getting taken around the one training field they had which was long grass and holes in it and we're standing right next to eden gardens the cricket stadium which is magnificent and this gentleman on the committee said this is the you know we are the man united of asia and I looked down and I saw this huge pile of cow dung. I said, I bet you Fergie hasn't got that at Caddington. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, but, but what what he did though, was he, he whistled and next minute this bloke with a big scythe come along and scythed up the cow dung in one go and took it off the pitch. Wow! And that's when I first started to school. Well, one thing I learned, you can't stop the cows coming on the pitch because they're sacred. Yeah. And also, I started to see the role of the cast system And that was terrible, some of the caste system. The treatment of people who were the lower caste by the top castes and also the poverty was just beyond description. I'm going to work one, to go train early in the morning again, which some of the lads didn't like, but I don't care. Got there in the morning and I stopped off to get some money from an ATM. And over there, the ATMs are in glass boxes. So I opened up the glass box, went to walk in, and there was a family living there.
0: Oh my god. And that was their
1: house, the 80, the 80. I didn't have the heart to step over them. I thought I could do without the, you know, the, the rupees that day. And uh, so it was everywhere. You know, I saw the swimming pool being used to wash clothes in, and the Ganges. Oh my God! It was just appalling. You know, the 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 lack of hygiene. You know, it was sad. It was because there were some great people, and I, I've been to India four times. That was the worst. I, I got ripped off financially. I got con men everywhere. Then again, when I went to Manipur, fantastic. I went to Mumbai, different class. Uh, and I went to TV. And if you mm. work in TV in India, you treat it so well. Yeah. But so this was Calcutta, which was just a particularly you know, bad club. And it's, I mean, it's, basically, it's got a massive amount of fans. And I said, Oh, it's great. How many shirts have we got to sell in the club shop? We had no club shop.
0: Oh my so goodness. you
1: would make, make a fortune there, but no, didn't bother about that, no club shop. Uh, it was just the gymnasium. I went to the gym and someone in you know, a few years ago had obviously bought some good equipment or pinched it or whatever. And, but the gym was about six inches in water. And there was lads still working in the gym with their feet in water because they wouldn't drain it or they didn't know how to drain it or didn't drain it. I'm going, this just can't be right. But it was. I had players like Chetri, uh, who was you know, playing there. Then the international player, a few other internationals. They used to pay the players well. They paid the big players well. I had one player, a striker, who was apparently on thirty thousand US a month.
0: Wow! There's
1: no way he was, no way he was worth that. You know, he was he just didn't deserve it. But apparently, a lot of that money was going back via his agent back to certain people. Okay. And, I had a, When I got there, I had a squad of 35, and I, said, I went up to the committee, and I said, look, I said, lovely lads these, but there's at least five who should not be professionals. They can't kick a ball. And he basically said, look, they're friends of the committee, friends of the sponsors. If you don't keep them here, they'll have no money, no salary. They'll be in poverty. So I kept them, because I didn't want to jump. Crucifier kid. So, uh, but I just have to you know, separate them off from the, the first 20 because it was just pointless. Yeah. That's was what was going on all over India in the I League. But the ISL changed that. ISL was different quality.
0: Wow. I, I bet when, when you were taking your FA coaching badges, uh, none of this was involved in the syllabus. <laughs>
1: no, not, not, not cleaning off the, the cow. Dung. And the other one was the I, I had a boot man. India still has bootmen, which is an English tradition. Uh, and the, the bootman used to clean my boots every morning. I'd come in and my boots were there waiting for me. Beautiful job. End of the month, like I would do in England, I'd slip him a few quid. Next minute, the secretary comes screaming down to me saying, What are you doing? What are you doing? I said, What do you mean? He said, You gave him some money. He said, Yeah, it's my money. I do what I want with it. I said, it won it off everybody. Hmm. I said, Well, good. I hope they all give it they better had. I'm going to tell them more to give him it now. Do you know how much <laughs> you gave him? And, and I had no idea. I'd given him a month's wages. Oh, you know, wow. That's how poor he was. But and we had a man who used to do the washing. And I said, look, this is a football club. I'll, I'll buy the washing machine for you if you want. You know, they don't cost much. And the response was, he wouldn't know how to work it. You know, he'll, he'll be out of a job. I said, no, he won't. Someone's still got it. Put it in the in the machine and press it, you know, press button go. But no, they wanted to keep this lad doing slave labour, you know. So and was, so in front of this football club, you had a washing line of training gear every day. Mm. So it was a different planet.
0: Amazing, amazing. Some I mean, these are experiences that that yeah. Uh, if you don't hear if we don't hear it from you, we wouldn't believe that happened. Um, all right. The, the flasher side of your India stint in 2014 at Mumbai. You coached a certain Nicholas Anelka, Freddie Lundberg, and Manuel Friedich. I mean, tell us about them. Do you, do you talk to these top-class players? Well, I guess you have to. You talk to them differently, don't you?
1: No, to be honest. I mean, for example, when Nick get over there, the ISL basically was the president used to buy the players and the coaches coached them. We knew that when we went in. So that wasn't an issue as with Peter Reed, and the president came up to us all smiling. I've got you, Nicholas and Elke. and I went in my heart, oh no, because he'd just been banned in England for putting his fingers across his arm. So I thought no, but I then learned that the image is not the reality of a player sometimes. The media image. You couldn't have got more humble, more professional more lovely bloke than Nick Anelka. He was great. If I said be there at nine, he was there at five, two. Wow. He trained at the end on his own afterwards. If I said wear pink socks, he'd wear pink socks. He was different class. Uh, and a good example of how humble he was, Peter Reed used to run a quiz, you know, different nights for all the lads, and he said to one, name the player uh, who's played at the Merseyside Derby, the London Derby, and the Manchester Derby. And I looked up, and Nick looked at me, didn't say anything, and Peter returned, and around said, no, not you, it's Paul Stewart. <laughs> so he did. So but Nick very quietly said, well, I scored in them all. <laughs> and then whispered to me, does, does, does Madrid against Barcelona count as a derby as well? I scored in that one. <laughs> yeah. But he, he was a good lad, you know, and Friedrich, top professional. I, I Obviously, you do your homework on your players, and then... I looked up Friedrich. I didn't know him too well. You, had, he had G- German caps. Now, you've got caps of Germany, you've got to be good, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. You put the Dortmund, you've got to be good. So I looked up, banged it on the Google, first picture of Manuel Friedrich marking uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. I thought, well, you'll do for me. <laughs> so, uh, And he was a fascinating player. He, he never tackled anybody. Never never got his shorts dirty. Bit like crazy. He used to pinch the ball. Get in front of people, pinch the ball, and then pass it. Now, obviously, he'd lost a bit of pace, because he was about 36, but he was clever, and he was a great player. And Anelka, of course, hadn't lost pace. Anelka was just like a racehorse. He was a different class. I'd say he's the best player I've obviously worked with.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant, and 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 do, do, does it rub off on on like the locals when when you get these superstar players in? Does it rub off? Do they do they try better, try more?
1: <coughs> oh, I mean the Indian boys really really love Nick. He, he played in one game and he shouldn't have played. He was injured. He had a lot of, you know, he was tough. Nick. He said, "I'm playing. We need to win," because uh, he wanted to win. He loved football. He played 60 minutes, he couldn't walk. In the end, yeah, we had to get him off. We got him off. Well, he doesn't go in the dressing room, so he you know, go away from the lads. He sat on the bench, sat behind me on the bench with all the all the subs, put a bib on like the rest of the subs. And we were hanging on. And he sat, like, I can hear him screaming, defend, kick it. You know, he was, he was just like all the other subs, screaming for the lads to, to do well. And then when the final whistle went... went jumped up in the air and smashed his head on the, on the top of the coach's <laughs> box i didn't know where i didn't know where to laugh or cry and he was laughing and crying himself as well but that's a you know, he became one of the team lovely lad
0: brilliant stuff brilliant stuff another short break i think we might get controversial with steve darby when we get back right after this
1: because whilst he's there, it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them. He's that
0: good. Off the ball on BFM eighty nine point nine. England's highest quality title race of all time but coming out on top again in the Premier League Manchester City Off the Ball on BFM 89.9 And welcome back Off the Ball in lockdown as we have been for I don't know how long now Tweet us at BFM Radio Follow us on social media It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well We're talking to uh, a very special guest this evening, he's coached, well, I think 11, 11 teams Steve Darby has coached, which is quite amazing. But we're not here to talk about that. Not right now. Steve, on the 11th of this month, uh, you gave an interview to the New Straits Times in Malaysia and, and um, you spoke about your fear of match fixing resurfacing during this this uh, coronavirus Period. Can you elaborate a little on that? Well, if you've got six hours, I could. Uh, basically, I think fixing
1: is the biggest cancer in the game. Absolutely. It could destroy the game at some level. You know, you have to keep working to eradicate it. It will never be eradicated while there's money, because there are people who will be greedy, but you've got to try. But, I mean, if you're really interested in this, there's two fantastic books to read. The Fix by Declan Hill which is an academic text and it's well researched and believe me, it covers Malaysia very well and the smart lads in Malaysia will go, I know who he's talking about. He never names them and there's another one called Kelon King by Wilson Raj who's, who wrote it from jail. He's a convicted Singaporean and again, some of the games he's fixed there, I do know them because I was involved in them. <laughs> I didn't know at the time. Uh, one was, you know, one was Thailand, uh, against South Africa. Um, I thought there was something funny. I found out it wasn't South Africa or our lads. It was, it was fixing them for referees, the referee. So it, it was, it's going on all the time. Now, anybody who says it's, it's, it's not happening or we fixed it. or we've cured it is naive because only a couple of years ago, if you remember Negri Sembalan, a lot of their young lads were caught. Now the thing is they were caught. What's to say there hasn't been another eight clubs not caught youth team players? Because the deal is, if you're going to get a youth team player and bribe him with a hundred ringgit, eventually some of them youth team players will get into the first team, logically, and they will then be targets because they can't complain. Mm. There's nowhere to go to. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's not going to go away. We've got to do things better. I mean, I used to think when I first came to, to Asia, that it was a black and white issue, you're cheating or not. And then I realized, or well, told, it wasn't that easy. I had a, a Malaysian player tell me, I mean, lovely lad. He said to me, Coach, you get a phone you, know, you get a phone call, and this bloke says to you, You don't know him. And he says, You haven't been paid for three months, have you? Because they know. They've got contacts in the FAs, they've got contacts everywhere, you know, the bookies. So oh, he says, No, I haven't been paid. So say he's on three grand a month. He says, if you give you ten grand to fix one game, and the bloke says, "No, no, no, I'm not going to do it," you know. So suddenly the bloke down the phone says, "Well, does your daughter still go to this primary school, or does your mum still go shopping at Tesco's on ten o'clock Saturday morning?" So you know, it, it is. It's not easy. Those who do it purely for greed, there are some. I've got to be honest. But there are some complex issues. I mean, you've got a young lad. If your young lad was desperately sick and needed an operation, would you fix a game? Mm. I, I don't know the answer. I've, I've never been in that situation, thank God, but I don't know. I've been offered money to fix games, you know, I, so I know it goes on. I've always refused because it's something deep down I'm totally against. But then again, no one's offered me $10 million. <laughs> you know, so is it a point where... your your finances balance out your principles how big is your mortgage means your principles may get smaller Uh, and what happens uh, one player I knew who was fixing he was a good lad a really nice lad gave everything for the team and I realised later when the fix was on he didn't play because he couldn't bring himself to be part of it and what happened was his father-in-law was in debt to the bookies so he had his wife was on his back saying look you have gotta help my dad out so the wife's on his back he's going home every night getting that so he ended up fixing for it for them uh because it was just easier yeah and and the reality about asian betting is that it's not win you know it's not about winning and losing with the other with the the asian handicap or you can still win and still fix you know you know those things go on they i mean the other thing is of course I've won games through fixing. I didn't know at the time. I I, I was in a game for Johor back in '98. Walking off the pitch at half time, and one of the foreigners walks up to me and says, "Steve, you're going to win two 0 I said, "How do you know?" He said, "He said I speak Bahasa. They don't know that yet." <laughs> so he told me we scored in the 84th and the 89th minute. Yeah. And I thought they're never going to get. They're never going to get. A th- we're never going to get third because. It was no time, and we didn't need to two nil. They weren't going to score. That was the deal. So they got the two goal spread. We got the win. I put the win down to magnificent coaching. <laughs> but you know, I suddenly realised it was nothing to do with that. And I do know I've lost games because of because of fixing. Uh, you know, it breaks your heart. You know, I mean, the, the worst thing is you can't prove it. You know, I know players who fixed, you can't prove it, because you've got to have legal proof quite correctly, because you could destroy a person's career, if you're wrong, and you know, so it, that's what you've got to do, you know, you've got to bite your tongue, and I, I was going to sign a certain player when I was at Parac, and as this player thought I fancy him, he's a good player, he could do a do, do good job for us, and I thought whenever I am, I always speak to the senior players about new players because you get their trust from that and also they've got better local knowledge than you. I mentioned this player's name. Whoa, no way, coach, no way. He'll destroy the dressing room within three months. He said, not only will you be out and his favourite coach will be in, uh, but he says he'll have other players coming in soon and the the club will be destroyed. He, He said, you look at wherever he's gone. And I did a bit of research, spot on wow so you
0: know it is close yeah it's it's amazing you you can't see this i'm sitting here agog listening to you steve Darby. so i i mean your your mindset when you go to a job uh, in in asia an asian club your your mindset must be so defensive you you thinking about uh, is this play on the take uh, a whole lot of other things right
1: well You don't sort of go in with that, but you're obviously wary. And also, you get tip-offs from lads who you know in the past you've trusted, and they trust you, and vice, they know I won't say who's tipped them off, and I won't report them to the police. I mean, in Parak, one of my players, he not only told me he'd been approached, he got his mate to take camera photo of the bookie, the bookie's runner, not the bookie, the bookie's runner with his arm around him. I took it to RFA, who did the right thing sent it to FAM. Nothing happened. We sent it to the police. And the, the PRAC secret police came round. I knew they were the secret police because they had it on their badge. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, they ended, uh, I ended up signing autographs for them and they never the player. They just said, oh, don't be we'll sort it out. Now, and that was what basically my original thing in back in the night when the player told me, because I said to him, why don't you go to the police or the F.A and he took about an hour to stop laughing. He said, you just don't know, coach, you've got no idea who's involved in this. It goes so high. Uh, There's people who are totally untouchable. You're not gonna get done, and you're gonna lose in the end. You'll be you'll be on the next plane arm somewhere. You know. Though, so, I've gotta be honest, the nearest I got to being on a plane arm was in Johor. We were, we were training on the Sultan's polo fields. And next minute, I saw this bloke on a horse coming through, whacking a polo ball. And I was just about to say, Would you please get off this pitch in Scouse? And my captain at Delhi jumped on me and held me face down in the mud. And I said, What are you doing? He said, That's the Sultan. He said, You, you don't tell him to get his I know you are gonna say, Coach, you'd be on the next plane if you were lucky. <laughs> you know, so I learned then that I mean and the best advice I got was from my team manager at um uh, FA fellow Mohammed, he said to me, Look, be like bamboo. I looked at him and I thought, What do you mean? Because there's not too much bamboo in Liverpool. He he said, Bend. Bend, but never snap. Don't break your principles. Don't break. Just bend. And if it goes too far, then okay, it's time to go. And like in Mohan, it was time to go. I wasn't going to be involved in their corruption, you know. So I, I got out. But uh, you know, by three years at Johor, three at Perak, which were almost like long service for a Matzali, three years somewhere. But the reality is, in, in Asian football, you've got to win something. Because if you don't, it doesn't matter. You're not there next week. You know. I mean, I laugh when I hear people say oh, we're having a project. You know? or oh, my philosophy is attractive football, <laughs> your project is to win, win next week, that's your project, and your philosophy is win as big as possible. <laughs> Long-term development is next Saturday, you know, and so I said, yeah, that's, you just got to keep winning in Asia, that's all you can do, and anyone that says that it doesn't matter, they aren't usually employed, yeah. you know, so it's, uh, you've got to do it, you to survive. But, I think there are ways you can get rid of match fiction. Uh, I think the first thing is you've got to pay the players on time. That's the first thing. Because you have lads sometimes living on Maggie Mae. Maggie, Maggie, Maggie Me, sorry, Maggie Mae's got Stuart, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Maggie Mae. You have them you know, living on appalling food. They've got no money. Uh, I had a big problem with that in Parag when the, the government stopped paying the wages. We've got to educate players, educate them young. I had a situation in Laos with a national team where the AFC sent a bloke who looked lovely in his blazer. Blazer and tie looked great. Sat down with all the Laos national team. Gates spoke to them for about an hour. Yes, lads were nodding. At the end, I said to the translator, I said, what was he saying? So oh, I don't know. I found it difficult. I was just turn the lads to nod. <laughs> 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 so yeah, and they- and also, he gave he gave because none of us could speak English, of course. And then he gave each of them a lovely shiny brochure with a hotline and a, a special whistleblowers number. At the end of the day, there's 22 aeroplanes flying round because these lads couldn't read English. Yeah, they couldn't speak English. Mm. they couldn't read English. So what a waste! You've got to get local knowledge, local people driving, you know, the, the education programmes. And FAs have got to accept that it exists. And they've got to be looking out for it and uh, you know, I'm getting rid of some of these people who they do know they're involved, but they just turn a blind eye. And the one that really gets me, I think the most important one, is the players get it. They're the bottom of the food chain. They're the ones who get caught, who get banned from, who may have been threatened, it may have been blackmailed, and uh, they may have been greedy as well. Okay, i ban banned them for life. But, they're the ones they don't tend to get the runners yeah the layer above they don't and they certainly don't get the money men the big men the top and they're the ones that do it i've had players fix and i know they could not they didn't have the intellectual ability the economic acumen to be able to arrange a fix i know it but they fixed because they they were manipulated by certain people in in lao after the World Cup, four of my national team um, got done for life. Now, two, I knew in my heart were fixing, but I couldn't do anything about it because they always played well in the World Cup games. They only fixed in you know, eight games in friendlies, so there was no pressure on them, they said, and they admitted it afterwards. You know, And then there's two others who fixed. Well, what band I should state? One, both I would have put my house on. I'd have had no house, obviously, now. But uh, one... One to this day, he, he rang me later said, Coach, I was stitched up. And he told me the name of the, the man who had stitched him up, who had already reported this ex player to the FA for for, for doing, you know, for stitching up other. But it got reported, got reported to, F, to the FA, Lao FA, got reported to AFC. Nothing happened. Mm. You know, I, I've, I've seen videos, they've been shown to me, where there's a bookie in the stand moving his hat around. And every time he moved his hat around, a decision went. Certain, a certain decision went. Because yeah. let's be honest, referees are easier to, to cheat. Than I, I was coaching a game, Laos v Malaysia, in Thailand. Signed the form, signed the signature at the, at the uh, you know before the game, the usual stuff. Five minutes before the game, a lad runs up to me and says, oh, Coach, the referee's gone sick. We've got a new referee in. Can you, you know, is that okay with you? Well, I thought, well, I'm not going to stop international football match now. And naively, I thought the lad was sick, the other referee. Um, I don't think he was sick, because when, when I got pulled in later, that's not your signature, is it? I said, of no, course it's not, you can tell. Because yeah. he kept all my other signatures from the World Cup programmes. And I said, no, that's not me. So he said, well, that was your signature was forged. And in that game, we got a penalty, which was never a penalty never <laughs> you know and and they um, you know and the score we, they scored the final goal in the 97th minute and I don't think there was any injuries uh, I don't think any Malay players were involved I don't think Lao players were involved purely referees you know and that's we had that a lot yeah. you know I, I sat next to Brian Robson once and we were, we were it was uh, Thailand against Syria players walked out to the music and I looked across I said oh no was stuffed," he said. "Why?" he said. "Look at the referees. He said, "What do you mean?" I said. "The, the Bulgarians, or you know, whatever." "They were from Bulgaria." I said. "Normally, we have tie referees, so we win." <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, he, he said. "You're joking?" I said. "No," I said. "It's all said, no problem. We just do the right thing. Uh, by the crowd, everyone's happy." But I said, and "In this game again, both teams got penalties. It uh, finished one all." We missed our penalty. It got taken again until we scored. <laughs> you know, so it was it was hilarious. Because all the, all the fix was done on a, on a draw. Because as you know, not many people bet on draws. They bet mm. on a home yeah. or away or a spread. So you, you, if you bet on a draw, the bookies are making a fortune. So they're the things you've got to do. I mean, in Parak, I, I don't know if you've got time. The When Parak was an UMNO team, and no problem with that, That was, that's the reality of football in Malaysia. And then the state election in 2008, PAS got in, the opposition party got in. The wages stopped within three months, The three months at least. By the third month, I'd had enough. I said, that's it, I'm going to see the Mente Basar. Oh, you can't do that. I said, do you want to bet? So I managed to get in, I got to see him, I said, you're meant to be a party for the people. I've got young lads starving there. And I don't know if you've read Khaled Jamris's recent article and stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I
1: happened to look at... Yeah, I mean, I kept it quiet for 12 years until Khaled kept his, <laughs> his mouth about it. You know, I mean, there was a couple of young lads I was looking after. I wasn't looking after Khalid or, or Nantha Kerma. I make sure they were on good salaries. But some of the younger boys were on nothing, you know. So I said to this fella, you know, you've got to pay these young lads at least. And he said, they should be playing for the honour. I said, okay, I'll do your deal. I'll coach for the honour if you be, meant you be bizarre for the honour. Whoops, there goes my contract next year. I knew that anyway. <laughs> so uh, uh, I wrote to the Sultan. Didn't get a reply, sadly, because I thought I might have got a reply, uh, but didn't get any acknowledgement. So I'd done everything I could to get the money from the lads. and I wrote to FIFA. I said, can I organise a class action for the whole team? And they said, no. They said, no. Every player individually must apply for the to get his money back. Now, these lads, quite a few couldn't speak English. Most didn't. The most didn't have laptops, so they couldn't access the internet. You uh, had to have a fax as well. So how many faxes are they knocking around? You know, in EPO, so they just couldn't do it. And in the end, of course, these lads have got to live there forever. I haven't, so I fought like mad from England. And it ended 18 months later, got my full wages per act, But I wasn't gonna I wasn't going to stop, you know. I dug in, because I knew I was right, and, and they were wrong, and I, I tried to get it, lads, but it was just a, a, a impossible uphill battle.
0: Brilliant, brilliant stuff. We're, we're gonna take our final break. We're gonna let Steve have a drink of tea or coffee, and we're gonna be back right after this. Build mentality in that dressing room that's powerful. Coach. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. The serial winner has got another trophy for the cabinet. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Off the ball in lockdown with Steve Darby. It's been an explosive Monday night so far. Um, let's calm things down a little bit. Uh, Steve, I've had loads of guests on, on, on the show recently talking about being locked down. They've, they've had a chance to catch up on a lot of reading, a lot of uh, football movies, documentaries. Anything take your fancy, football-wise?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I've just watched or finished the, the English game on Netflix and there's also two series of Sunderland Till I Die, that shows you what football means to fans. So if you're a fan of football, you will know what these lads are going through, and the players as well. You know, some of them it showed you some good pros, and it showed you some cheats as well. So Sundan Until I Die, series one and two, is a great film about Diego Maradona, who I think is the best player in the world by a light years, and the pressure he was under, about the pressure from the mafia. You know, you talk about match fixing he had to perform every week the other way yeah. he had to win games every week yeah. you know, so, and also there's a, there's a wonderful little series about Tevez oh yeah and it shows you where Tevez where Tevez came from the poverty and now you realise why these lads fight you know it's, it's like the foreigners people say to me oh the Malaysians should go abroad well it's hard to go abroad if you're really happy at home isn't it you yeah. might miss the Macan, you might miss your family. Yeah. But if you're from a village, it's a just say you're from a village in Guinea, as Peter Manju once said to me, coach, he said, I'm feeding about 300 people. You know, So he he was literally had a massive extended family, which he was looking after. Uh, and I had a very, very intelligent player from Burkina Faso, Abdoulaye Trore, who, who told me all the realities of what it's like being an African player abroad, how badly they're treated by their own people, how ripped off they are by Yeah, you know, I mean, the first thing that Keita came up to me and said is, Coach, how much am I going to pay you to play? I said, what? <laughs> yeah, he said, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I had to look after people before. I said, well, look, that's changed. That has changed. I, I've come in, I've been told by the Regent, I think it was the President then, uh, Clean the place up some of the things I found in cupboards were scary, you know, The some of the, the dodgy dealings. I said, you pay me back by scoring goals. That's all I want, and he did. The lad was a great pro, you know, so it, it, it was really good. You know, and I'd, I had some, I've been lucky with most, most of my foreigners, except one. I had one called Manuel Zulu. It was a lovely lad. About It was a day before the transfer window post. He was about five foot two and needed a foreigner and we played a five aside on the pitch because it was wet. He was world class five aside. <laughs> got him into a game and he must have been the worst eleven aside player in the world. <laughs> he just could not understand stand. And went through the board. I went through me on the pitch. He's looking at me. Nah. And I got a phone call one night. Steve it was the police in Ipo. Uh, one of your lads is in a bit of trouble, you come and pick him up. So I mean, I mean that wasn't unusual. I've had a few cases of getting calls from the police. To be fair, in that area, the Malaysian police were great. They never <laughs> got a call. It was a case of come and get him out of We'll keep it quiet, you know. Especially the Kelawat lads.
0: Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Have you have you ever considered um, putting all these stories you've told me tonight into a book? Because it would be explosive. <laughs>
1: Well, there's, there's, there's one about 70% written by a fellow called Anthony Sutton, who's called Jakarta Casual. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's hard work, as he's shown me, you know, cutting, cutting it down in some cases. You know, and also, the book would then have to go through legal, which is going to have to send it through legal, because if I say the wrong thing, the publisher, or even worse, me, could be sued. I don't fancy being sued at my age, you know. I want to still go back as well and coach sometime. You know, once my daughter reaches university age, I'm, I'm happy to go back. I mean, that's the stupid thing. I've been here, you know, 18 months, and I've had three really top offers when I haven't been looking. A couple in, the, in, in Indonesia and one national team job. And so it's crazy. when you're In this job, sometimes you're desperate. Nothing's going to hit you other times they're coming in left, right and centre. So I've learned there's no logic in football. You just gotta smile, enjoy the ride, Meet, met some great people. Not met many bad people to be honest. You're mostly great people I've met. You know I'm still in contact with players from nineteen ninety eight. Uh, a lot of my players are going to be good coaches, which delights me. And what delights me even more, I had one, fellow called Fami Abdullah, who's now a Muay Thai coach, and he rang me once He's he about forty, he said Coach, I just heard myself saying things you used to say to me. Didn't I, I realize what you meant.
0: <laughs> okay, when, when, So I said
1: right when you just keep saying them, I said yeah.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. When when all this is over and when, when, when daughter is of right age and, and you get your chance to come back into coaching, pick an ideal job. What would who would you want to coach?
1: Oh my favourite country was Malaysia. Uh, I mean, national coaches, it's is, is more pleasurable in as much you haven't got the day to day lunacy uh, of dealing with presidents and getting. I mean, I had one president give me a text that you've got to play this system. It was four-four-three. 3. I said, Guarantee we'll win. I said, I said, just put 12 players on the pitch, you know, and then I you know, So, oh yeah, I never thought of that. I said, hey, easy to put players in, isn't it? But you're gonna leave out. Yeah. So yeah, uh, you, you have to put up with that sometimes. I mean, I was sacked on Facebook. Didn't enjoy that too much. I, I opened my Facebook up and I saw Derby's just been sacked. That was good. Yeah, because <laughs> the two blokes who were supposed to tell me had not plucked up enough courage to tell me yet. They were scared of me.
0: <laughs> brilliant, brilliant
1: so it was, But it's funny I got on really well with well, you know. People say he was this, this and this On a one-to-one level found him a decent blog, honestly I mean, one of my other presidents Datu Hamidi Zahid Does a great blog he said we used to have meetings at two o'clock in the morning. He was holding court in a hotel with his constituents, and he slipped me in with you know at two in the morning. Say, oh, what's how's he going in midfield? Do we need any more players? It was a great, bloke. You know, and I Datu Mohoyadin, another president, who was in charge of rugby in in Malaysia. He was he cared about the players. So in many cases, I've been lucky. With the quality of this administration because it's so important. As good administrators let the coaches coach and that I mean the players will play and hopefully you'll win. And That's what it's all about, winning.
0: Brilliant stuff. What an ideal place to end our chat. Steve Darby, thank you so very much for spending time and talking to us. And you stay safe. Stay safe and, and continue to lockdown and, and continue to Netflix, I guess. We'll speak to you soon, Steve. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to that as much as I have. I'm <laughs> back next Monday with more. Of course, back on Friday with all the latest news of the week. Until then, everybody, please continue to stay home, stay safe, and have a great week. <laughs>